So this is our final week of the series Momentum, which means that this is the last week you get to watch this amazing Newton's Cradle crackalack. So Eli did it for us, but let me do it one more time, just, just so we never forget. Uh, now just to, um, I didn't mean to confuse anybody, uh, my father-in-law and my husband built this thing together. And so I know I gave each one credit a different week, but they built this together and they are both amazing, uh, putting together, making all my dreams come true there. So um, now, as we're talking about momentum, if this is your first week here, we built this because what momentum is, is this idea that energy is transferred. It, when something gets moving, energy is transferred from one object to the next, to the next, to the next, and can ultimately affect something that's far away from it. So the energy is transferring back and forth through those bowling balls and affecting the, the energy transfer all the way through. And so we've been discussing how to build spiritual momentum. And what we decided is that it will take faith. It will take faith at increasing levels. It will take faith that doesn't leave us where we are, but challenges us to grow, challenges us to change. And my prayer through this whole month is that there's been something in your life that has changed, that there's been something that has shaken up a little bit, that has, has taken a different course. And so want to just kind of think about the whole month. In the very first week, uh, we broke down the word faith as an acronym. In the very first week, um, we talked about how the F in faith is for freedom. And if you were here, we talked about um, how we can have spiritual freedom, and people came forward and got anointed. And we had this sort of moment where we declared spiritual freedom in our lives, and we could have the movement that it takes to get momentum. And then the second week, uh, the letter was A, and we looked at how we can eliminate fear. And how we can eliminate fear in our lives is through action. And so we did a fast together as an action step. And as Pastor John mentioned, we're completing that fast today. So did you guys enjoy the blogs from the staff this week? Did anyone watch those? Three of you, good job. Go back and look. Um, but it was a, just a great encouragement if you didn't get to see it. If you fasted Facebook, go back and look at them all. And uh, it was really great just as our staff team got to chime in and talk about the things that God was doing in their life as well. And so then last week was the letter I. What did it stand for? Do you remember? Influence. Awesome. And um, we used those little mini clackers, uh, and we talked about how influence, spiritual momentum can, can get us just poised to influence, get us in a position to influence others, and how it is really part of being a Christian is the Great Commission. It's a huge part, and inviting other people and talking about our faith, and I hope that you took that seriously this week and took opportunities and divine appointments that God gave you. And I want to remind you that this coming Saturday, so before we gather here again, this coming Saturday, February 4th, our guests will be in from IHOP, which is International House of Prayer, not the pancake place, it's the other IHOP, and um, they'll be here from Kansas City, and they'll be talking about prayer and worship, and if you come on Wednesday, you've been hearing a little bit from them already via video, but next Saturday, up at the summit, from 2.30 to 4.30, we'll have a special uh, session with them to talk about prayer and worship. You can really glean some great teaching from them, and then from 6.30 to 8, so 6.30 p.m., uh, we'll be having a worship service to kind of culminate this whole series, and so don't miss it. Mark it down. We'll be putting it out on social media this week to remind you, but make sure that you get there. It's going to be a really great time to celebrate together. We're going to be worship and prayer and kind of put everything into practice, and then the IHOP guests will be here next Sunday to share, so that's what's coming up. 
So we are going to look at the last two letters. I know you are in utter suspense of the FAITH acronym. And the last two letters are T is for triumph and H is for hope. Look at the person next to you and say, I knew that was going to be it. She can't fool me. So we're going to look at two passages today. And I want to look at uh, Roman, in Romans 8, of course. And the first is Romans 8, 22 through 25. So follow along if you have an insert or in your Bible. It says this. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So H in the acronym is hope. And hope, I believe, is something that we are always wrestling with inside of ourselves. And we need to be careful not to grow negligent or lazy in fighting for hope, or we will, we will just kind of collapse inside ourselves. Hope is the desire that something good is coming in the future. When you begin to believe that there's nothing good ahead, you can lose hope and really get in a discouragement, get in a, a funk per se, that nothing is ever going to get better. And when we're facing something difficult, something that causes heartache or something that maybe doesn't go the way we planned, hope reminds us that something good is about to come. Now, biblical hope is more than just optimism. Like some of you are naturally bent toward there's got to be something good that's about to happen. But that's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. It's a confident expectation that's grounded in the God that we serve, not in our ability to see the silver lining. It is actually not looking at a situation and saying, well... I mean, you know, the color, she wore a good outfit. (laughs) Like, this was a terrible day, but she wore a good outfit. It's not just finding something to be happy about, though that's a good practice, but it's this confident expectation that because we know who the God is that we serve and who is ultimately in charge, that we can have hope for the future. I love in the beginning of this passage, uh, the first verse says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul uses this metaphor of childbirth, which some woman must have helped him with this explanation because I'm sure he had no idea what childbirth was. Um, But childbirth, for those of you that have experienced it or have had a wife who's experienced it, is the ultimate example of frustration laced with hope. There's nothing fun about the process at all. Um, It's painful. It's frustrating. It's often two steps forward and one step back. However, the end result the, the, uh, the hope that motivates you is the birth of that beautiful new life. That's the hope that motivates you. And so the frustration is not in vain. You know that it is a very real, real present hope that is promised in the end result. So that motivates you to keep going. And Paul uses that analogy because he understood that even then about childbirth. And what he says is all of creation, all of creation is eagerly awaiting sonship and redemption of our bodies. But until that moment, there will be frustration. Until that moment, there will be frustration. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but has anyone ever had any frustration living in your mortal body? (laughs) 
<laughs> stomach flu. I just have to say two words, right? I mean, that's frustrating. Maybe you can't figure out why you can't stay up as late as you used to. Maybe you can't understand why you just can't lose weight, like you're doing all the right things. What's happening? Maybe your, your, your jump shot isn't quite as perfect as it used to be. Maybe you hit 40 and things started to ache that you didn't know you had, you know? You, you just can't quite, maybe you're not recovering from an injury the way that you thought or wished that you could be. Frustration happens in our mortal bodies. It, we get frustrated. And all of creation longs to be liberated from the bondage of decay. We want to be fixed. We want to be new. And this scripture says, as our bodies age, we groan in confident expectation and hope that someday in heaven, we'll get a new body. Nicole Schreiber, 2.0. We'll get a new body. And, and, and we can wait in confident expectation of that. In fact, Matthew 19, 28, Jesus says, not just our bodies will be made new, that's a promise in the scripture, but also at the right time, the whole world will be made new. The, the whole of creation will be redeemed and made completely new and flawless, and everything will be turned back to its original purpose. And there won't be death anymore, and there won't be pain anymore, and there won't be uh, things that happen that are, that are difficult or things that are frustrating. That won't happen anymore because God is working to redeem not just us, not just our lives, not just our physical bodies, but the whole of all of creation. And so both creation and our bodies wait eagerly for this new era. And in verse 23, if you want to look there in the very beginning, it says that the people of God will have the first fruits of the Spirit. We talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit last week. What does that mean, the first fruits? Well, that means that this is a, if you're, if you're a person of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is in you. And it's like a, a down payment toward complete renewal. It's not quite happening yet, but, it's, but it is already happening. And there is something inside of you that is renewing you that can allow us to hope for glorification. And that word glorification just means that we will someday be out of these bodies and we'll have a new body and that we will be glorified and we will be with Jesus and everything will be fixed and made complete. So we can hold hope, which is confident expectation, that God is working the scripture says the first fruits of the Spirit are in us if you're a believer in Jesus, and God is working whether you see his hand or not. Whether you can trace how he's working or not, he is working. That's what the scripture is saying, and we can have confident hope in that. We don't have to just find the silver lining or be optimistic. We can stand in confident hope that God is working. We talked a little bit about Ecclesiastes last week, and I've been reading that along with Romans. And King Solomon wrote this book, and, and he was the ultimate guy who chased satisfaction for his soul, his whole life. He wanted so badly to understand the meaning of it all. He just, what's the purpose of, of this? What's, what's the purpose of this whole existence? He wanted to know the meaning of it all. And so in order for him to get to the bottom line of the purpose of life, he had to walk through and wrestle through a lot of longings. He had to buy a Lamborghini and a boat <laughs> and realize that didn't fulfill him. No ideas, Joel, no ideas. He, he had to do those things. He had to walk through everything that he longed for to try to plug the hole of his emptiness with a lot of things. And at different stages of our lives, I think we have these sort of, I call them King Solomon moments. We sort of come in different stages of our lives in these King Solomon moments. I went to lunch on Friday with a friend 
Uh, both of our birthdays are coming up, and um, she lives in Morgantown, West Virginia, so we meet in the middle and we go to lunch every year. And she's been, we've been friends for 18 years, which is half of my life. And we sat there at uh, Red Robin, and we were talking, and we were talking about what about being an adult is better than we thought, and what about being an adult is worse than we thought, now that we're in the prime of adulting. What is better and what is worse? And we laughed because most of the dreams we had as teenagers about adult life turned out to be a lot harder than we expected. Uh, that, you know, house in the country with the wraparound porch and the picket fence came with this thing called a mortgage. I mean, you never knew what that was. Um, sweet little babies grow up to be toddlers <laughs> who you have to discipline and clean up their puke and, you know, do those things. Um, marriage is just magical for about three days until you realize it takes really hard work to get along with another human being all the time, you know? Um, you, know you, you know, you just have these sort of expectations of what it's going to be, and then you get there. Um, we talked about this. When you get to be an adult, you know, we couldn't wait to just get to eat whatever we wanted, which turns out to be awful to have to self-regulate yourself. Your mom isn't hiding the donuts, you know? So you're just... I, my options are I could eat all of these, and no one would say no. Uh, and so it's difficult. They're King Solomon moments. What is it? It's that idea that kind of all of our life we have to wrestle with this. Um, if I get X thing, I'll be happy. No, 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 I won't. Well, maybe I will. I got to try. You know, if I, when my life is at this stage, I'll finally be content. When, when, I, when I actually know what I'm doing with my life, I'll, I'll be better. When I actually find my spouse, I mean, things will, things will make more sense then. Um, when I start, uh, I'll commit to church when I don't have such a crazy schedule. I mean, certainly it'll slow down, and then I'll actually get there. Um, I'll go on a missions trip when I'm not in such a committed relationship. We just kind of had this, this sense where we battle all the time. It's that grass is greener on the other side thing. It's that longing that once we get to this place, it will be better. And then all of a sudden... You're 50 and you realize that you've lived more than half your life and you still haven't figured out what it takes to be fulfilled. And that's what King Solomon talked about. He, he penned this whole journey in Ecclesiastes and, and he literally calls it a chasing after the wind. Mark Batterson is an author. He described the same thing as a wild goose chase with no, no goose. A wild goose chase with no goose. And so Romans 8.24 addresses this, this wandering that we have as human beings. And it says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Because who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And C.S. Lewis said this, and this is my, my version of it, but perhaps the frustration we feel that frustration of being in our mortal bodies is because we aren't made for this world. We're made for something greater. We're, we're longing for a home that fits us better. And so instead of trying to get rid of the frustration and plug all the holes in all of our longings, maybe we just learn to live in it. We just learn to live in the, the dissonance that it is that we just don't fit here that our hearts are, are not made for here. And so this frustration that we feel, and so we come to this point that, that these verses say nothing will fill this emptiness, no achievement, no relationship, no goal we arrive at, but the hope that wins is the hope that we don't have yet. It's the hope of heaven. We will have it, 
The promise of God, the confident expectation we can have is we'll have it, but we don't have it yet. And the fact that at some point we will be released from this frustrating body and live free in heaven, the fact that God is redeeming and working and he's making all things right, as hard as we try on earth, we will never do it, but a time is coming and a hope is coming and hope will win. Jesus always wins. He always wins. The second passage I want to look at today is Romans 8, uh, 31 through 39. Now, before I read it, I want you to know that this kind of passage beckons a response, okay? If you can read this passage and feel nothing, just check your pulse today, okay? Because I'm not really sure if you drank enough coffee. So when we read this together, I want you to respond. It's okay to say, like, yes or amen, or smile even, like this would be fine, or, or clap a little bit, or raise your hand in the air because you're praising God for what he's doing, or say thank you, Jesus, or you're allowed to respond, okay? All right, so don't let me down, don't let me down. All right, here we go. We're going to read this passage. Romans 8, 31, 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Because who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as we go through this part in Romans 8, I want you to imagine the hardest thing in your life right now. Just the hardest thing, whatever it is. We talked all through the series about all kinds of things. We talked about shame. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's, maybe it's a sin in your life that you just can't get rid of as hard as you try. Maybe it's a sin in your life you don't want to get rid of, and that's what you're struggling with. Maybe it's fear of failure. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Maybe it's fear of intimacy. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe the hardest thing in your life is a person here with you today. Maybe it's a future decision. Maybe it's a financial need. Maybe it's a political angst that you feel. Picture it, all right? You got it? This is what God wants to say to you through Romans 8 about that which you just thought of. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's what he wants to say. Is that Paul brings us to the truth that God has graciously given us all things. Graciously, we don't deserve it. But he's graciously given it to us. And we are shameless. 
We are guilt-free because of God's, Christ's work on the cross. And then Paul goes on and he, 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 he raises the question of any conceivable contradiction between Christ's love for us and our suffering. I mean, he, he just tries to cover it all. He, he gives all kinds of examples. And his point is that suffering cannot separate us from the love of God. It is often the time at which we feel the furthest from God, but it cannot separate us from him. Separation through suffering is no more unthinkable than the idea that the father ceased loving the son when he was on the cross. Suffering does not separate us from God. And we talked last week about uh, Romans, in Romans um, 8.28, where it says, it all has a good purpose. In fact, our suffering is the part of our identification with Christ. That is our, our, the, the part of it, that the righteousness of Christ in us allows us to look at suffering in a different way. You might wonder, I wondered, uh, that little part in that passage where it says, uh, verse 36, for your sake we face death all day long, we are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. What does that mean? It kind of seems a little out of context, right? What, what is he talking about? Well, he's actually quoting a psalm, and it's Psalm 44. And that psalm is a national lament. It, it's a nation pouring out its complaint to God. They are losing a battle. They, they are losing. They're being slaughtered. Their people are being slaughtered all over the hills, and they don't know why. Because they have not been unfaithful. They haven't abandoned their faith. And so they don't understand why triumph isn't theirs. And I'll be honest, I think I've been in situations like that too in my life. I'm doing all the right things, so why is it still coming? Why is everything still so frustrating? You told me to, you told me to go and, and talk to the person and say I was sorry, and they just looked at me and laughed. <laughs> How is that triumph, God? Like I'm doing everything you're asking me to do. And God reminds them in this psalm, if you read Psalm 44, that suffering is the lot of the righteous. That suffering is what happens to righteous people. That it's often not a punishment. It is a vehicle that drives us closer to God. It fills the gap between us and God. Remember what James 1, 2 through 4 says, <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So even if we are experiencing hardships and the trials of life, we're still living in victory. We're still living there. It's not circumstantial or situational, because the suffering will come, is what the scripture says. And Paul says in verse 37, we are more than conquerors, that we can win the supreme victory through him who loved us. Death can't quench that love. Demons can't touch that love. No hostile power can sever that love. Nothing at all, nothing imaginable can separate us from the love that has redeemed us. And that positionally right now, this is who God says we are. And we need to believe it. Because every hardship in our life isn't going to change after church today. I, I wish it would. I wish it could be kind of some uh, thing where you come in and you say, God, take this situation away, and you walk out and it always goes away. But if you've been following Christ for any amount of time, you know that doesn't always happen. Sometimes he can change it in a minute. But not always. 
Sometimes it's a process. But Romans 8.28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. But we can be more than conquerors, we can be overcomers, and we can fight from a position of victory. We don't have to fight for victory. Because it's already won. Jesus already won the winner's trophy. Jesus already won the Super Bowl ring. It's already in the bag. We know that. As believers in Jesus, we have seen the end of the story. And so when you leave here today, your situation might not be any different. But you can leave here in Christ's authority. And when you get up tomorrow, you can get up in the authority of Jesus. Because he's already done it. And hope will win, and Jesus always wins. Jesus always wins. So it's our last week of momentum. I just, I can't stop. I can't stop. Meredith, all right. It's our last week. And I saved sort of my favorite thing for last. And I really believe that there is one, if, if every week you've left here and you've been like, eh, I don't know, that really hasn't got me moving very much. There's one surefire way to create momentum. It's my ace in the hole, all right? And it's found in Revelation 12, 11. And it says, they triumphed, which is our T word today, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And the scripture says that we, believers in Christ, triumphed over the enemy, and we do so through the cross and through our confession. So, so the blood of the lamb is referenced to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, and the blood that Jesus shed not only purchased our eternal salvation, but it rendered Satan powerless when we as believers are operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are under the blood of Jesus, if you have given your life to him and you've asked for forgiveness and he, he, you, you have repented and he has saved you because his son died on a cross for your sins, you're under the blood and you belong to Christ. And not, not just the, the crucified Christ, but the raised and ascended Savior. And Romans 8 tells us not only is Jesus at the right hand of God, he's interceding for us. So that raised and ascended Savior is interceding for you and for me right now as we're sitting here today, at the, at the right hand of God. And the cross gives us triumph. And the enemy is defenseless and defeated by the blood of the Lamb. Did you hear me say that? <laughs> that the enemy is defenseless and defeated by the blood of the Lamb. And so what we're going to do today, the band's going to actually come up and get ready. And we're going to do the second part of that. The cross is already finished. If you are a believer in Jesus, the cross of Christ, it's already done, it's already finished. If you're not a believer today, I want to invite you. There's nothing between you and Jesus right now. If you confess your sins and you are, are sorry for what you've done and you're repentant, then Jesus offers his salvation to you freely. And even now, the blood of Jesus can, be, can cover you. Revelations 12 says we triumph by the word of our testimony. We triumph by the word of our testimony. And what confession means is telling the things that God has done for us. It's encouraging and reminding each other of the goodness and the faithfulness and the hope and the triumph that God has done in the past. And if he's done it in the past, then he can do it again. And if he's done it before and if he's done it for someone else, then he can do it for you. 
So, so we're a family of God, and, and we're working on that. We're working on, on feeling like a family. Because sometimes you sit over here, and you don't even know this person over here. But we're all here together. And so we're just going to take a little bit of time. I want you to pull out your um, green paper if you have it. There's a little statement there on the bottom. It's on the very bottom of the back. And it says, I was blank, but God helped me to overcome. If you don't have a bulletin, it's on the screen right there. You can write it in your phone. You can write it on your hand. I don't, I don't mind. Wherever you want to write it. <laughs> I was blank, but God helped me to overcome. I was full of the fear of rejection, but God helped me overcome. I was ashamed, but God helped me overcome. Maybe, maybe it's what I was addicted, but God helped me overcome. I was tired, but God helped me overcome. So I just want you to take a minute and fill it out. You guys can start playing if you want. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song. It's called Overcome. It actually sings the verses of Revelation 12, 11. And we asked a couple people to come prepared. But maybe you're here today, and, and you write your paper down. And you know it just exactly what you want to say. And you want to declare what God overcame you with. Now, I want to remind you that this isn't really a time for details. You can have details over lunch. But this is a time for one statement where you just fill in the blank that I was, but God helped me overcome. And we're going to celebrate together with each other what God has helped us overcome. Okay? So you can fill that out. And if you want to be part of sharing, you just come over here. Danielle's right here. You just show her your paper and she'll tell you when to come up. You can just read your statement. Like I said, we're just looking for that one statement for today to encourage each other what God has done. So let me pray and then we'll get started. God, I believe that positionally you have given us victory. God, I believe that we are more than conquerors because that's what your word says. And so, God, I thank you that today as we take some time to triumph by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, that, God, it would bring hope and encouragement to us today. Lord, that we could know we could live in a position of victory, not because of anything we've done, but because you have graciously given it to us. And so, God, we stand in great thankfulness. And we ask, Lord, that you would show us, just even now, that we could fill out the paper, even if we never come up and share it with anyone, God, that we could remember what you've done in our lives. And so, God, today we're trusting you and we love you. We thank you for what you've done. And we ask for your hope and your triumph in our lives. And it's in your name we pray. Would you stand with me as we sing this?
wounded with no self-esteem. I had a huge fear of rejection, but God helped me overcome. I struggled to develop a real relationship with God, but he helped me overcome. I was feeling worthless, but God helped me overcome. I was always full of fear. But realizing God's great love for me, perfect and unfailing, and the promises that I placed my confidence in, God helps me constantly to overcome. When I was in the military, I got into some serious trouble but the Lord helped me overcome. I dealt with a lot of rejection, but God helped me overcome. I felt like I had no worth, but God helped me overcome. devastated, but God helped me overcome. I was lost and lonely and just in a dark place, but God helped me overcome. I was envious, but God helped me overcome. I was weak, but God helped me overcome. A failure, but God helped me overcome. I agree, but God helped me overcome. It's been tough to continue to do the right thing, even though it's not reciprocated, but God helped me overcome. I was selfish, living for myself, and afraid to change but God, God helped us overcome. 
lived a shattered life, and God helped me overcome. I was worried, but God helped me overcome. traumatized and hopeless, but God helped me overcome. I was insecure, but God helped me overcome. because I had no self-worth, but God helped me overcome. I was addicted to pornography and sex, but God helped me overcome. I was without peace, but God helped me overcome. I had lost hope and my family was broken, but God has helped me overcome. I was depressed and suicidal and ready to end my life, but God helped me overcome.
What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. And Lord, with you, we can overcome. And it is in your name we pray.